Welcome to the Duck Territory Podcast Bowl Game Edition. Uh, but I don't think we're going to be talking a lot of bowl game discussion. Justin Herbert Edition. Yes, news came out. Like 30 minutes before you're about Calvin to Calvin Throckmorton is coming back to college for his senior year. There it's the go. breaking news, which I should say that is big news. Sure. That is significant news for Oregon. Yes, Calvin Throckmorton, Oregon's probably best offensive lineman. You can make that a case between him and Penny Sewell. Shane Lemieux. Shane Lemieux. Shane Lemieux was second team all conference. Sure. Uh, Throckmorton has said he's coming back for his senior year. That's huge news for Oregon. They get their most versatile offensive lineman back. Uh, the really big news is Justin Herbert has gone trending on Twitter. We're, we're recording this on the 26th of December, and he does not have a Twitter account, and yet he's trending for the last couple hours because he has released a statement saying he, too, will be coming back to school for his senior season at Oregon, passing up the chance to be the number one pick in the 2019 NFL Draft, and quite honestly, the probably the highest rated guy on the draft boards. You you go to CBS, you go to 24-7 Sports, you go to ESPN, Bleacher Report, uh, PFF, uh, any outlet that's a national outlet, they have Herbert either as 1A or 1B as the top quarterback prospect in the 2019 draft. He's saying thanks but no thanks, and he's coming back to Oregon. Huge news, and, and one thing, I just spent about 45 minutes putting together kind of my thoughts on what this means for Oregon in 2019, but the, the, the first one is it's now possible that Oregon returns all 11 starters on offense. I think the only players um, that could theoretically leave, or, or and I guess anyone could transfer, but the only players right. that, that are starters that could theoretically go pro right now it would be Dylan Mitchell, maybe Shane Lemieux, maybe Jake Hansen. I think I would say both linemen I would expect to have back. Dylan Mitchell is probably the only one you're waiting on. At this point, Oregon could have its entire arsenal back. Yep. And again, I, and I was, you know, I went through the, and I looked through the stats in the conference season, and I think a lot of people were, were kind of mixed messages in how the offense played this year. But Oregon was pretty significant. It was pretty clear the second best offense in the Pac-12 this year. They're behind Washington State in every category, but they were either second or third in every major offensive statistic this year. With Washington State losing its quarterback, with Washington losing its quarterback, with Oregon State, where it's at right now, with Stanford kind of losing a bunch of players as well. I think Oregon right now, you feel like looking at 2019, feels like probably going to be the favorite to win the Pac-12 North, which will be the first time that'll have been the case since 14, 2014. So um, significant, maybe 2015. I was going to say maybe 2015. I'd have to go back and look. I'll check that. But but certainly significant news, and you know, I also think back a little bit what this says. Um, about Herbert because there were uh, there's so much on the line here with this decision. I think I forget who posted it, but you know, a couple of months from now he could have basically signed a contract to make him a millionaire. Um, yeah, they were for, they were picked to finish first in 2015. Okay, so, so this will be the first time in five in, in, four years. in the North Division, not in the South. The USC was picked to win the conference. To win the conference, actually, yeah, USC chose to win the Pac-12 media poll. Okay. But I, I think this just says a lot about Justin Herbert, and, and you know, there's a lot on the line, and I and you can I can never pretend to understand all of the different elements that come down to a decision like this, because I'm sure there's so many factors that we don't even think of, you know, for someone like this. Um, obviously, the academics play a role. He's from Eugene, unfinished business. Brother's going to be on the team. Probably wasn't his best season, 
But there's also a lot of things that, you know, that factor into why he should have gone. So I think this is a huge, huge step for Oregon. And I also can't help but think, you know, about a week ago, almost exactly, we spoke with Justin Herbert. Yeah. And hadn't said, thought about it. Hadn't thought about it. Wasn't going to make a decision until the bowl game. It sounded like. I don't yeah. think he was fully definitive on that. But it's kind of interesting that he puts out a release now, I think exactly a week almost after. He says, and this is his quote, and I read it, and it's like, as I read, he's gone. He's leaving. It's the ultimate set you up and then reel you back in type of a quote. Wait, why don't you uh, just read it? Cause it was- the University of Oregon has been a special place to me for as long as I can remember. Words will never be able to express my feelings of gratitude toward the people that have built and maintained our program. That's when I'm like, he's gone. So maybe he, he changed decisions <laughs> midway through writing that. What I have come to realize, though, he's definitely gone, this is me saying, uh, is, is that nothing could pull me away from the opportunities that we have in front of us. As we prepare for our bowl game, I would like to ensure that there's no distractions outside of this game. My commitment to my teammates, our coaches, Duck fans, and the University of Oregon has never been stronger. I'll be returning to the University of Oregon for my senior year. Go Ducks. Very I – mean, <laughs> in that statement, he probably said more than he has in the last month. Uh, media availability uh, in general. Um, I also think this speaks a little bit to him as a person yes. in terms of I think he wanted he to He didn't make want this, it to be a distraction. Yeah, and I also think he didn't want to announce this in person have to field a bunch of questions. He wanted to put a, a statement out. He's probably not going to speak to media until... I requested him for tomorrow, for, for uh, Thursday. Thursday down in Santa Clara. So he's, but I think he just wanted an opportunity. Maybe over Christmas was the time he wanted to spend with family. I'm sure he spent time with family and talking over and coming to I don't think decision. he did. I don't think he did. He, he didn't see anybody. He just sat and studied. He just sat and studied. <laughs> He studied his biology homework and he studied Michigan State's uh, 4-3 defense and he made a decision. But I, I, obviously this is huge news and I, I just think it is interesting, just kind of reflecting on it. About a week ago he said, I won't make a decision until after the bowl game and now he's come out with this. And I think it's obviously extremely exciting if you're an Oregon fan um, because like I said earlier, the full arsenal of weapons could be back for this Oregon offense and then you include a top recruiting class that has skill position players that are big time, that has offensive linemen that are highly talented. This could be a really, really scary offense next year for Oregon. And, yep. and sets up, I think, this bowl game now becomes even a little bigger because if Herbert announced he was going, people would kind of write off the outcome a little bit because Herbert's not on the team next yeah. year. Who really cares? It's going to be a different team. Now, if Oregon carries this momentum over, and then maybe they do have 11 offensive starters back, and they yeah. could have eight defensive starters back, you go, this is a team that goes out. Maybe they lay a beating on Michigan State. They come back next year, 19 out of 22 starters. People are going to take note of that. Yeah, and and it's offensively at least it goes deeper than just all 11 starters back. Yeah, a lot of the two deep. Almost the essential two deep is back. Obviously, Capra has left the program, so that's one reserve that's gone. Uh, But from a senior standpoint, you have Kano Dillon and you have Tony Brooks James that are your backup seniors. On the offensive side of the football, and those and, are kind of third straight. And I was just gonna say, yeah. Dylan and Dylan and, and TBJ this year have kind of been your third stringish type guy. I mean, Tony's played in every game for Oregon. Um, he, he started a couple games for the Ducks this year, but you know, it, it's evident he wasn't the number one running back. He wasn't the number two running back because if you go and you look at the stats for the season, and he's third on the team in carries. He's he's not close to what. Uh, Travis Dye and C.J. Verdell, and I have them flipped because it should be uh, Verdell that has the, the team high carries, and then it's um, Tony Brooks James after that. Uh, but you, you just look at the two deep of this group, and you see an offense that's going to bring back literally everybody. Yeah. And this for it's really unique 
for a coaching change like we've seen with Crystal Ball to inherit a program that has a guy like Herbert and to have an offense, you know, with the firepower up front and a defense that had so many guys back from the year before, uh, it's very rare for a program at a Power 5 level to have a coaching change and the year be better than the previous season. And it's even more rare for that second year where you, you have a bona fide top 15, top 10 team now, uh, regardless of what Mitchell does and regardless of what Troy Dye does. Uh, those are probably the two guys that we don't have a clear indication of, yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, of what they're doing. Calvin Throckmorton has said he's going pro. Jake Hansen hasn't said anything, but it would be it would be a huge shock, bigger than Herbert, if he left because he's just not high on the boards. And then Shane Lemieux has said he wants to come back, but he hasn't made his decision yet. And I think you can read into that as he's more than likely going to be coming back to school. Um, but he's he just hasn't definitively made that official decision yet. Um, no one else on this team is draft eligible. That's that that should that, that would go that that should that has any kind of a consideration of going and yeah like you said maybe there's a transfer here or there that happens and you know I think we're gonna expect a couple transfers to happen because of the size of the recruiting class that they've signed um, but overall this is gonna be a team that that you're right if they go into the Red Box Bowl and they throttle Michigan State. Even without the bowl game, they're going to be a you know a perceived favorite in the Pac-12 North. But if they throttle them, that's going to be the lasting image from January first or December thirty-first all the way until August. Is that Oregon dominated a Power Five team in a bowl game? A Michigan State team that's got an elite defense, and they bring everyone back well, from that you'd, unit. You'd be hard pressed if let's say, and this is obviously theoretical because the bowl game hasn't been played. But let's say Oregon wins the bowl game like thirty-one to seven because that's probably about what a blowout would look like in this game. Michigan State's defense is too good for me to expect Oregon to put up more than that. And honestly, 31 is kind of asking a lot. But you just think of the momentum they would have built up over the course of yep. December of a top-five recruiting class, incredible talent across the board, the number one recruit in the country by some rankings. I know 24-7 has them second in the composite and 10th on the 247 sports. But And then Herbert coming back. And then also that. That's just so much momentum going on. I think you'd be hard-pressed to find another program that's not playing in the college football playoff, which would have that much. And Oregon would probably become that trendy pick of, oh, well, not only do they have this big recruiting class you've been hearing about, because this has been national news. I mean, don't don't get it twisted. Signing day was a lot about Oregon because ESPN has Thibodeau, the top-ranked player. He came on and was interviewed. Cristobal came on and was interviewed. They spent a lot of time talking about this class. If you pair that with a quarterback, which is already – you know, kind of on everybody's radar, an offense that maybe puts up a big game in the Red Box Bowl and brings everybody back. I think Oregon would be that trendy, trendy pick out West that starts maybe seeing, honestly, maybe some top 10 consideration next year's polls, um, depending on how things go. And then next year's season is the year, though. Again, I don't think the Pac-12 North is quite as strong, especially at quarterback. Oregon gets really hot, and they run the table, or not even run the table, maybe they lose one game. I think they could make it into the playoff because it's such a dang tough schedule. Yeah, you 100% have to look at this schedule now that it's tough. And that's this the perfect scenario for that schedule is playing out for 2019. Right. In that you're getting your, your most important player back. Your entire offense basically is back. And then most of your defense is going to be back as well. Um, so you, 
it, it's not going to be, oh, we're having to break in a new quarterback or we're going to have to break in a new defense or what, yeah, yeah, you know, there's no excuses for Oregon. You know, look, if Oregon wants to be who they, they say they want to be and who they are, uh, under Mario Cristobal, they should be able to win 10 games with that schedule next season. And looking at how down the Pac-12 is and will probably be again next season, you're probably going to be the team to do that, to, to win 10 games. And if you don't, it's probably going to be a, a failure from a success standpoint. But before we get too many hot takes of opinions on 2019, let's circle back to this Red Box Bowl. And um, I, the more I've dug into Michigan State and the more I've looked into what this defense is, they're pretty darn good. Yeah. And you know, my first initial reaction was, oh, 7-5 Michigan State, they struggled to score, Oregon's going to blow them out. I'm not so certain now. I mean, I think Oregon's going to win, but I originally thought and saw the money line as Oregon was like a two or a three point favorite when it opened. I think it still is. About yeah, half, I and I was like, I'm, if I was going to bet on that, I'm going to hit Oregon hard because that seems really low. Seven and five, Michigan State. They can't move the ball. They don't have a good offense. But at the same time, their defense is elite. Well, and that offense we should mention is super banged up, and they're and they basically spent the majority of the second half of the season without their top quarterback. We don't know if he's going to play. We don't know which quarterback's going to play in this game, by the way. Uh, it could be Brian Lewerke. It could be Rocky Lombardi. Lombardi is a freshman. He was pretty terrible. I mean, statistically, I think 44% completion percentage, three touchdowns, three picks. Um, not very good in either game uh, or any of the three games he started. Lewerke was better, but the veteran guy, but he might not play. He's had a shoulder injury. LJ Scott, who was supposed to be their star running back, Hurt his ankle against yeah. Arizona State early on in the season. Came back, played a couple games about a month later. He's playing in this game. Again, is playing in this game, but he's basically had, I think he has like 40 he, carries all season. Yeah, he's played in four games and had the ability to redshirt this season, not playing the bowl game, and redshirt to return to, to Michigan State for next year in 2019. Yeah. And basically get himself back into, you know, third, fourth, fifth round draft pick considerations. He's choosing not to. Yeah. He's playing in this game, and he is a big six foot one, two hundred twenty five pound running back. Um, so he, there's some mixed stuff there. And then the, the lead receiver, I think his name is Felton Dennis. Yes. Uh, missed has been out for six weeks from torn Achilles. Is not playing this game. So the, their offense is so, so decimated. It's really hard to judge. But now you're giving them a little time to get healthy. Maybe the work he comes back and is healthy. I don't think you can expect the. I think the receiver's basically been ruled out, but. Um, maybe this offense does look a little better. Maybe they start to resemble what people expected. Because this is a team that was top 15, top yeah. 12, I think, um, early on this season. This is a team people thought was going to be really good. The defense lived up to the side of the bargain. The offense did not. Um, if, if suddenly they've got their quarterback back, they've got their running back back, they've got their you know full complement of receivers back except for their top guy, this offense could look a lot different. And that could kind of spell trouble because this Oregon defense has been up and down this season. But certainly if you're going to beat this Oregon defense – it's it's possible. It's not it's not an impossibility. We've seen teams score some points, and so if this if this is a game played in the 30s and, and Michigan State's able to score there, I think you have to give Michigan State maybe the favor because this defense is really really good for the Spartans. Yeah, if I look at Oregon, I th- I think this is a game that you if it's in the low 30s, probably not good. If it's in the high 30s, probably good for Oregon. But you'd preferably to get this game into the 40s because. Right. I don't think their offense, Michigan State's, is going to be that prolific with all the uncertainty. Right, even best case scenario. Yeah, all the uncertainty, all the injuries and, and whatnot. Best case scenario, I just can't, I can't envision uh, a Michigan State offense, even with Oregon's defense taking a slight step back this season than what it did last year. 
I just can't see them scoring 40 points. I can't see them scoring more than 35 unless there's some craziness, special teams, right. defensive touchdown type stuff. Um, so, you know, for me, the keys to the game are simply going to be, A, offensively take care of the football. You have to be able to take care of the football and not turn it over, not give extra possessions to Michigan State. And more importantly, don't give up a special teams or, or a defensive score. That's critical. Uh, and then secondly, Oregon has to be able to run the ball. And that's going to be, that's going to be the unstoppable force against the immovable object type of cliche for this game is Oregon's bread and butter has always been this season when healthy to be able to pound the rock and suck the defense up to the line of scrimmage and then hit them with a, a deep shot or with a one-on-one matchup of subcapacity of Dylan Mitchell. And Michigan State's bread and butter defensively is the, is the run game defense. They lead the country in, in rush defense. Uh, they've had six games where an opponent has rushed for under 70 yards. Uh, they've only given up a, a 100 yards, I think, four or five times this season. Now, granted, three of those game in the last three games of the year. So Michigan State's defense has kind of broken down a little bit from their standard of holding guys under 100 yards. Uh, but they've they've still got an elite defense. They've got two really, really good linebackers in the middle. Uh, they've got a, a defensive tackle that's going to have an NFL decision to make as a junior uh, after this game. He's playing in it. Um, that's going to be key. Don't turn the ball over. Don't allow you know special teams or defensive possessions. And then most importantly, uh, you need to be able to go out and be able to run the football. Because if you can't and you have to throw the ball, even though Michigan State's going to be without a couple cornerbacks in this game that are starting once, uh, quit the team because he's going to the NFL and he doesn't want to play in the bowl game. The other one's up against the red shirt rule and he's probably not going to play uh, to preserve his season. Even though they've got some deficiencies in the secondary, I just don't trust Oregon's receivers to to be able to carry the Ducks in a game where they can't run the football. I think one thing that illustrates how good this defense is for for Michigan State is I was looking at Eno Benjamin, who is the Pac-12 rushing leader this year. They played Michigan State week two. He had 13 carries for 27 yards. Against Utah, who was the top rushing defense in the Pac-12, 27 carries, 175 yards. Against Washington, who was second, he had 26 carries for 104 yards. Against Oregon, he had 29 for 149. So this guy was running for basically 100 yards every week. I guess against Stanford, 11 for 38. That was the only time he was under 100 yards in Pac-12 play. He ran for 312 against Oregon State, but having watched the Civil War, I think that's sort of understandable. But this is a defense that is really, really good against the run. And, and even against Eno Benjamin, who, like I said, was running for 100 yards basically every week uh, this season. They kept him to 27 yards on 13 carries. This that's is impressive. Gonna, this is going to be really tough. And that's that's the guy who, if you were to pick maybe who the top running back in the conference was, based upon stats, you know, that would be the guy you say, and the, the Spartans shut him down. So it's not going to be easy. Um, and I, th- I do think I do think that, that offensive line, it's going to be very fun to watch, um, especially Penny Sewell. We should mention, we should run down. A couple guys are coming back from injury that haven't yeah. been playing. But Sewell is one of them. He's expected to start at left tackle. That is going to be a That's big massive. test because he's going against Kenny Willicks. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing the name exactly right, but he was the uh, Big Ten's defensive lineman of the year. He had, I think, almost 20 tackles for loss this season. A very, very talented guy. That is going to be a big challenge for Sewell to keep him both out, you know, out of Justin Herbert's face, but also kind of you know allow the run game to establish. And that's a situation where if, if Sewell wins those battles more times than not, that's going to be something people are talking about because this is a guy he's going against who's going to be a top draft pick in a couple of years. Yeah, Sewell's back, and, and that's just huge because it helps 
with depth purposes. It puts your your five best offensive linemen now uh, on the field together at one time. Uh, and then all, on the on the defensive offensive side of the football, we still don't know about Kano Dillon. Uh, had a rib injury late in the year, uh, and that's just lingered in, into the month of December. We should mention we do know Justin Herbert's good. Yes, Justin Herbert is good. His body is feels good. He said feels good. I asked him. He said yes. <laughs> your, your body okay? Yes. Uh, and then we've also got Tony Brooks James is working back. That was a, a decision that Crystal Ball said they're not going to know until they get down to San Francisco. They left today on the 26th um, if, if they arrive or not. Uh, if, and then later on in the week they'll have a, a better idea if he plays in this game or not. Jalen Jokes is a guy that should be back and playing. He's listed as a starter uh, for Oregon. He he missed the Oregon State game. Uh, and then uh, Kalana Apalu, the senior linebacker, uh, this is a guy that – had Oregon played in the, in the Vegas Bowl again, no he way. would not have played. He would have had no chance to play in this game. Uh, but he, too, has said that he's working way, his way back. He probably won't start for Oregon. He probably will play a limited snaps, but he will be available. He want, and he wants to play. He wants, doesn't want to end his career the way he ended last season with an injury because, you know, for everything Kalana Apalu might not be in terms of his size, that guy is really tough, and he has played his rear off this season, second on the team in tackles despite missing the last four games. It would be big to have him back, at least for an emotional boost. You know, to have a guy of his caliber back um, would be huge for this defense. I, I, I think Oregon, considering the injuries they've been through, is getting pretty healthy. Um, Cam McCormick won't be playing. I think we've been told Isaac Slade, I believe, was the same thing. Yep. But also we should mention just a couple of guys here, house cleaning uh, Notes that DJ Johnson will be able to play. Yep. It'll be his first game in Oregon uniform. And Andrew Johnson, another linebacker who had kind of sat out of the season. It sounds like he's working towards playing. Yeah. I think Cristobal said he actually has first full practice last week on yep. Thursday or Friday. Yeah, he said Andrew Johnson, that's going to be another game week decision when they get down there to see if he's able to play and help Oregon uh, or not. And that's going to be interesting to see play out, both DJ and Andrew Johnson. No relation. No. Um, one's from California, one's from Georgia. Uh, one's from the 2018 recruiting class, and one's from the 2017 recruiting class. Um, DJ Johnson probably, for me, is the one that I think can make a bigger impact because he's actually listed on the 2D now that he's eligible to play. Uh, and he has spent basically half his time this entire season working with the second-team defense, basically being groomed to be a, DJ, a Justin Holland slash Jalen Jelks replacement one of those two guys yep. probably more towards Hollins than Jelks um, but he's he spent the year and the, the, his teammates call him the predator a guy just because of his dreads and the way he plays is very aggressive uh, a lot of guys on the defense said this week that they're excited to see him play and kind of see what impact he could make for this team and we've already spoken a little bit about the the momentum he could carry from this bowl game to next year for DJ Johnson he's a guy who I think a lot of people have at least penciled in as probably a starter in Justin Hollins' spot next year, certainly in the conversation for it. If he has even a couple big plays that kind of turn your eyes, it could be a thing where you go, oh, maybe he has a couple sacks, and you go, there's a guy that next year is going to be a big part of this defense. So, And that's, again, the reason he's able to play is, is the redshirt rule. Um, and I guess the term turns over or, or something. He's now eligible to play. It's, it's a significant thing that he's got an opportunity to play in this game and to not lose a full year of eligibility. And another one of those benefits that I hadn't really considered of this kind of redshirt rule and how it impacts things is a guy like DJ Johnson, a guy like Andrew Johnson, who, you know, were either one was not healthy for the full season, another one had eligibility issues coming off that transfer from Miami, but both of them will have a chance, it sounds like, possibly to play 
in the bowl game and to kind of get a, I guess, a sneak preview of what next year could hold for those two. Yeah, this is a, a team in Michigan State that, look, they this is going to be a tough test. Mm-hmm. And I've said that time and time again, but you look at Michigan State's history in bowl games under Mark D'Antonio, they've won five of their last six. Uh, bowl games, and the only loss that they had is that goose egg in the college football playoff semifinal in 2015, uh, when they lost to Alabama 38 to zero. And so I think if if you're Oregon and you're one of those coaches inside that office, you have you know you have two coaches on your staff right now, Mario Cristobal and Bobby Williams, who were part of that Alabama team, and no, obviously a big part of that is they had the best players on the roster uh, in that game and and in college football. Alabama always does every year for the most part. Um, But from a schematic standpoint, um, Michigan State's very similar to what they were then. You know, they don't really change much offensively and defensively. Um, Cristobal can know, hey, go back to the game plan of Alabama. What worked really well? Let's try and emulate that again uh, in this game. So I think it's going to be important that we see good games from uh, obviously, Jalen Jelks and Justin Holland's off the edge, but Jelks' availability is big. Yeah, his availability is really going to be huge, and uh, I, I don't think they can win without Jelks playing. I'm not saying he has to be 100 percent healthy, you know, but he, if if he wasn't going to play in this game, he's one of the you know three or four guys on this team that if he wasn't available in some capacity, right? I don't think Oregon would be able to win. Um, he has to have a game. Jordan Scott has to be able to command and demand double teams. And then Troy Dye and whoever is in next to him, whether it be Apelu or um, Isaac, Isaac Slade or Samson New. Samson New or Keith Sims uh, or Lamar Winston, whoever else is next to him inside, those two guys have to clean up and force Michigan State into passing situations. Because just like Oregon, if, if Michigan State can run the football – that will be able to alleviate some of their offensive issues and keep Oregon's offense off the field because they're going to play. They're going to play keep away. That's that's going to be their game plan. Let's get ourselves in third and short situations, second and short situations where we can have the option to run or pass, and then let's milk the clock. Put together drives of twelve plays and five and a half minutes of game clock and leave with seven points. Yeah, no, I, I think it'll be really interesting to see how this plays out. Michigan State, obviously, uh, you look at last year in the, in the Holiday Bowl, they played Washington State, another prolific Pac-12 offense. They won, Michigan State won 42-17, to shut down the Cougars and had a big day offensively for themselves. Uh, I'm sure they'd like a repeat of that this year. I, I think it'll be really interesting to see um, how this Pac-12 offense and the Pac-12, I think that's probably going to be one of the big storylines here is people are kind of, and probably rightfully so, doubting the Pac-12's ability to compete. And this is an opportunity for the Pac-12 to go against one of the strongest Big Big Ten units, not teams, because I think Michigan State's offense is pretty rough right now yeah. and it could change based on the injuries. But going against this, this is the Big Ten's best defense. This is one of the best defenses in the country. It's an opportunity for the Pac-12 to kind of flex its muscle a little bit yep. here. And they need it. And it would be a disaster if it was another similar 42-17 kind of thing because then you go, this is like the Big Ten's fifth or sixth best team. They played against the Pac-12s, one of the Pac-12's most – least recognizable yeah. programs and just totally put it to them. I think that would, again, um, you know, put the conference in a bad spot. And we should probably mention the conference not starting great, at least to this point. Only one game has been played, but Arizona State Arizona State. State, State. State. Yeah, that, I, mean, I think they, the conference has to do something to get out of that bowl game. 
and in, in, ter- in terms of that alignment because you're as a conference you're putting your sixth or your seventh best team up against a, a group of five school which automatically that team's not going to be up for playing against you're putting them in a city in Vegas where it's distracting two weeks after the season is over and oh by the way you're playing a conference champion like that other team and it's right before recruiting too right yeah. and that other team is going to be jack the sky high to play you guys because they want to beat you because you're they're a group of five you're a power five and when then the storyline becomes oh the Mountain West can even be Pac-12 right. schools even though it's not really the top Mountain West against top Pac-12 it's not even a fair kind of fight and I mean for the Mountain West and for the AAC and I'm trying to think of another group of five school um you know, basically, those two divi- those two conferences, Conference USA, I guess, uh, also kind of in there. Kind of in there, but I, I would say you know the American Conference and the Mountain West Conference are a, a step above right. the rest of the Group of Five leagues. And those conference champions, they usually win eleven games, or they go ten and three, or eleven and two, or or twelve and one after they win their conference championship. And they're pretty comparable to. Uh, a top 15 team. So you're basically throwing a top 15 team in a game against a team that's six and six, seven and five. Of course they're going to, they're going to get dominated. And it just looks bad for the PAC 12. So I kind of went on at the tangent there. No, I, think, I, think it, I think it's a valid point that Oregon went through it last year and Oregon fans know full well. And, and they, I, I, I don't think it serves the conference well when the discussion nationally is that the PAC 12 can't compete. Yep. With the big boys, and then you set them up in a, a kind of a lose-lose situation against a lower conference, uh, or, or I guess Mountain West conference that, that obviously that kind of sets you up for failure. Because what's the best case scenario? Is you go out there and win, and no one really cares. Oh, you should have done that. Yeah, who, who cares? So. Uh, Oregon is. We're not going to go through the money line for or the betting lines for every Pac-12 game in the bowl season, um, but I want to make our case here. Uh, two two different options or choices. In, for this Oregon-Michigan State game. The over-under is currently at 48 points straight up. Uh, that is suggesting that – and Oregon is also a, a two-and-a-half-point favorite. So that's saying that Oregon's going to win this one, you know, something like – if you if you take the over, you're saying something like 27 to 24. Yeah, that would be – yeah. And – Something along those lines. Like yeah. 26, 23 or something. Yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult to get the under – or the over 48 and be at two and a half and it, it be, you know, right dead on. Uh, cause it's just weird numbers. But. Numbers are weird. I'm gonna take the over. I think more than 48 points are scored in this game. I, I think it's in part because I think Oregon themselves is going to be in the high 30s. I think Michigan State will score a couple times, um, a couple touchdowns, but I think that's gonna what, it's gonna be something, I think I think Oregon's going to win and they're going to cover. I think it's going to be something like thirty-seven to twenty-two or twenty-five. I also like Oregon winning, and we talk about that. I think that overline is actually that's pretty critical. I think if it's under that, I think Oregon could have a hard time winning. I don't think a game that's played like unless Oregon wins like thirty-one to seven, like I said earlier. Yeah. In which case, it is the under, but. If this game is pretty competitive, I don't think Oregon wants to be winning a game where they're going to be scoring in the 20s. That's not really what they want to do. You look throughout the season here, um, the games they lost were games that were they scored 20 points, 15 points, and 25 points. 
scored 31 in overtime against Stanford as well. But the games they're winning, they've scored 58, 62, 35, 42, 30, 42, 31, 55. So the games they've scored a lot of points. So if I'm Oregon here, I, I, I want to score over 30 points because th- that's kind of been the formula this year. In a regulation game, Oregon scored 30 points. They've won every time. So I think if Oregon gets to 30 points, I think they have a great chance of winning. And I think if they get to 30 points, they're probably the game's probably going to be at that over. So for me, I like Oregon to win. I think it's going to be a game. Um, I think it is going to be like a, a 31 to to 16 to 17 to 20. I don't know. I'm going to say 31 to 20, something on those lines. I think Oregon will win. I think it'll be fairly resounding. I think there's some momentum right now with this program, and it's an opportunity that I think they recognize to kind of capitalize that and carry it into the next season, like we've been talking about all podcast. It's going to do it for our Eric Scopel and myself, Matt Prem, here on the Duck Territory Podcast. Make sure to listen to us on iTunes. Go to duckterritory.com. Listen to us there. Read all our work as well. Uh, bowl game coverage, we'll have plenty of it uh, with us being down on site for the entirety of uh, the week leading up to the game and then also the game itself. Uh, so stick with duckterritory.com as we close out 2018. And then... Start of 2019, we have the second push in recruiting. Uh, we haven't done a podcast on recruiting. We'll do another one after the bowl game is up, kind of getting you kind of caught up with what happened and then what's to come uh, in the month of January and February for the Ducks of Oregon. So for Eric and myself, Matt, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. See you guys.